Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. During our conversation with Mike Rigo, you'll have an opportunity to learn about Mike's path from narcotics officer to cannabis consultant, advocate, and ambassador. Mike walks us through not only what it takes to be successful in the cannabis arena, but also some of the challenges this burgeoning industry is experiencing and tips on how to deal with them. You'll walk away with a much better understanding of the cannabis industry, where there are opportunities, where there are challenges, and how building a strong network has helped Mike make a name for himself that's led to business opportunities and speaking engagements. So now, without further ado, enjoy the conversation. Mike, I really appreciate you coming in today. How do I begin describing Mike Rigo, a man of character, quality guy? Let let me even rewind. The type of guy that Mike is, we originally uh, did this podcast a month or two ago. We did it on the phone. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, Unfortunately, the audio did not come out to our liking. Mike is here today, came into Hoboken, New Jersey from Rhode Island, took a train, Took an Uber. He did what he he did. He did what he did to get here, and I really appreciate that. I think that speaks a lot to the type of guy that you are, and I think people are are like myself are just really fortunate to have someone like yourself in my life. You're the kind of guy that I can tell already, even though we've only known each other. We we're just saying three, four years, right. uh, but you'll be in my life forever. You're kind of stuck with me, Mike. <laughs> I feel the same, man. It's my pleasure. I I enjoy. Um, First of all, I like the train ride. That's, I'm kind of a train dude now. Never thought I would be, but it's an opportunity to get a little bit of work done. And um, not so much today because the scenery wasn't great. It was a little kind of foggy and lousy, but uh, love riding the train. Love coming to New York, too. Although... I'm in Hoboken for the first time, so I thought it'd be fun. So it really has nothing to do with the relationship and you being a good Not guy. At all. No, no, just like the train. Just okay. Like the train. <laughs> right. I can, can ride off the ride too. No big deal. Good. <laughs> well, Mike's a, besides being just a, a good human being, he's a really interesting guy. His background is uh, far from unique. Uh, rather than me try to explain it, Mike, if you don't mind, um, give us the backdrop on how you got into all the different things that you're into. Okay. Well, First and foremost, I think uh, the best way to describe it is a little bit of a diverse path to to where I am today. Right now, I'm an independent contractor in the medical cannabis industry. Um, Basically, I work for several companies. One company in particular has and is operational with medical cannabis facilities in New Hampshire, uh, currently Maryland, and we're building out in Massachusetts as well. My background is is in security. Probably the best way to describe that is I'm retired law enforcement, worked for Newport, Rhode Island Police Department for close to 18 years. Unfortunately, retired on disability back in 2010. And um, through the course of that, primarily through the course of trying to get healed on my on the injury that I the injuries I received over the years, I, I got involved with acupuncture. And at the time, the um, person who was the doctor of acupuncture, name is Seth Bach, who actually is the owner of Greenleaf, uh, a Rhode Island medical cannabis industry, Rhode Island Medi- cannabis company, sorry. He was a doctor of acupuncture, and unbeknownst to me, he was applying for a license in Rhode Island, saw my background, it's primarily in narcotics, and asked me to become involved as more of a consultant, not even a consultant, like a, on the board of directors, that blossomed into being being 
uh, consultant that blossomed to me being a caregiver and that blossomed to me working directly in the build out and the infrastructure for one of Rhode Island's first medical cannabis dispensaries. From there, I left, went, uh, worked in upstate New York for several years, almost two years, for a company called Etain. From there, I left and started doing independent contracting and hooked up with this company that I presently do most of my work for called Temesco Wellness. So from narcotics detective to medical cannabis, whatever moniker you want to put to it, <laughs> consultant, how's that? That's how that's that's where I where I'm at now. That's got a um, a nice ring to it, and uh, you know you do security, but you like you do the the setups. You're also just with the relationships that you've developed. You've built up a nice little network of people in this space, and I mean I know myself that you've been a go-to guy for me on certain questions, and your family's involved. You're. Um, you got to, you've made a bunch of friends, but also friends from your past life are involved. So you've built this awesome network. You've got this knowledge, um, and and you seem to be really interested in the space, which is nice and interested for the right reasons, not just chasing a dollar. Correct. What I really like to focus on now, as much as possible, these are all startups. So the startup phase is, as many people know, very dynamic and hectic and stressful, and fill in with whatever word you can. I've always been able to thrive in those environments only because I think my past experience has kind of allowed me to be, you know, calm under pressure and there's certain things that don't really get to me. So that's a benefit. But that also translates into other areas. Specifically for me, I've over the years involved in the medical cannabis industry. I think I've identified people who have a certain skill set and demeanor and, and mindset and ethical and moral values that fit in this environment. So a big part for me is hopefully... I have in small scales in the places I've worked, but moving forward, I like to to try to develop a culture at a, at a um, inside a certain company, and that's something that I'm really starting to focus on now. That's the most important thing because it's a new industry. There's no real blueprint per se. Um, there is and there isn't. Some business models work in this industry, some don't. So it's an opportunity to create your own, and why not start from the beginning? Start with why you're doing it. And then go from there. And that's part of the reason I, I really want to push forward in, in developing a culture in each of these companies I work with. Gotcha. So this is a really hot industry. Um, you know, you, you've been, I mean, it's, it's a pioneering industry and you're a pioneer within the pioneering industry. A lot of people just seem to think of it as this gold rush. What are your thoughts on that? Gold rush, maybe. Not or an green, immediate. Green rush <laughs> yeah. is what they call it. Green rush, yeah. It's, it's not an immediate turnover, big money kind of situation, in my opinion, and what I've seen pragmatically. Is there and will there be money in, to be made? Absolutely. Um, especially in the ancillary businesses, if you want to look at it that way. Like my son, who's involved in the industry now as a grower, said he he takes the model from the gold rush. And the, many of the people that were successful were the ones that sold the picks and shovels to the, to the miners that are going for the gold rush. So from that perspective, if you really want to get some infrastructure and immediate impact, I think if you want to go for the ancillary businesses, the grow supplies, things of that nature, steady, consistent income. But unfortunately or fortunately, you have recreational states that are throwing out these huge numbers, the big millions and billions of dollars that they're making. It's not very practical to look at that application from a medical state standpoint because there's a lot of money it takes to build the infrastructure. Um, a lot of money it takes for build out of the actual buildings. And also keep in mind, many of the medical cannabis 
statewide sponsored programs only allow for indoor grows. And indoor grows are problematic only because the sheer energy they take and the sheer the amount of money it takes to run the lights, run the AC, run the you know humidification and all that systems in place. So those are big build-out costs. Whereas someone either in California or Colorado can grow outdoors. And that that brings the price per pound way down, which is a huge issue. So I guess the short and the long of it is, if you're patient, if you build a good culture, if you hire the right people, and keep in mind that this is a plant and this is run, the engine for this industry is a plant, the cannabis plant. And never forget that. You can have the best security in place, but if you can't grow, if you can have the best retail operation, but if you can't grow consistently, if you can have the best whatever in place, but if you have a you don't have a product that is appealing and consistent and can turn over monthly, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the uh, other pitfalls. Um, you know, a lot of times people don't understand that you don't get the tax benefits of a typical business. You know, you talked about security. The security in this industry has got to be one of the tightest securities outside of, uh, it uh, is. you know, outside of like maybe casinos. and. Yeah, know. no, it, it's probably yeah. the, the tightest in any industry, and there's no similar ones. For example, a company I work with in Massachusetts called American Alarms. They outfit Homeland Security operations and banks, and by far the security they have in place for one of our, our cultivation sites in Massachusetts far exceeds any of that. Now, part of it is fear and misconception because, let's face it, it's a federally illegal substance. So there's always that kind of um, cloud in the back of everyone's mind. If um, First of all, there's going to be a lot of robberies and there's going to be a lot of push-in robberies, things of that nature. Um, they're gonna, the federal government's going to swoop down and close the operations. That generally hasn't happened. Again, I say generally. But... Many of the states are are cognizant of the fact that it's um, a new industry and it's controversial. So they put safeguards in place and regulations in place that may seem excessive and may or may not be, depends on your angle on it. But it provides a sense of security in terms of patient access, um, the employees that work there. And it also kind of gives that aura to the, the people that are not going to have the best intentions in mind that... You know, what's the risk reward in this? Because one outfit I work with in, in Maryland, the grow site has 63 cameras. And I can't even tell you how many motion detectors. And that's just in one one site. So How many square feet are we talking? It's about 45,000 square feet. But this is just a grow area. I mean, this is not a retail space. So that's, wow. a, that's a lot. That's a big expense. And a lot of it has to be backed. Depending on the state and the regulations, most of these things have to be recorded 24-7, meaning the camera and the surveillance system. They have to be backed up on a on either a remote server or a cloud server. So the, the back-end costs involved with the just the security portion is pretty staggering. And again, you don't get that tax write-off. None. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I, I know it's a, it's a laborious business and a lot of people are just, they're just missing that. Yeah. You know, they really are. What is the skill set that you have that has really benefited a lot of your clients because this isn't just a one skill. I mean, you yeah. need to wear a lot of hats. Well, first and foremost, um, I like to take a common sense approach to, to anything I do, especially in this, because oftentimes you can get um, overwhelmed by the fact that it is highly regulated and there are, you know, audits that take place and there are inspections that take place. But at the end of the day, when you take a common sense approach and still realize we're talking marijuana and bring that practicality. And I also bring that sense of value doing this in other states 
and being successful and opening in other states. And my past experience in law enforcement is kind of a unique skill set. So um, it's also important to um, really, it's going to sound very simple, but you got to be a good person. No one wants to work with an asshole, excuse my French, but um, you can teach a lot of people different things, but if you don't want to work with them, they're unworkable, why have them on board with, with, your, with your operation? So for me, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I, I get along with a lot of people. And I'm also able to, to kind of sniff out the individuals or the companies that just aren't going to fit. That's a little bit of an intangible, but generally you got to be able to work well with others because you're, you're having multiple disciplines involved on a daily basis, especially when the, when the construction phase starts in these, in these um, entities. But also moving forward, a lot of people forget this. Many of the growers and the grow staff who are very talented at what they do, if they're a little older, they've been doing it for a long time and they've been doing it illegally. So there's that counterculture mentality that kind of infiltrates into the industry. You can't discount that. You have to kind of guide them into the space of, okay, that was then, this is now. We need to be transparent. There are regulations in place. We're not doing anything, for lack of a better term, shady. This is how we're, this is how we're going to operate. So I can kind of bridge that gap. You know, Once they get past the fact that they, don't real, they realize I'm not a DEA agent undercover trying to bust everybody, which has actually happened. <laughs> they actually thought that I was a DEA agent undercover yeah. trying to bust everybody. Once they get past that kind of bridge... I can guide them through the process of, all right, we're legitimate now. So here's what you have to do. You know, you walk to walk and talk to talk now. What I notice in the industry is um, a couple things, and I'd love to get your take on it. I loved, um, <clears throat> I loved the fact that it was new, it's pioneering, and that it's a movement. It's not just like, let's just say something that's relevant now, Bitcoin, which people are jumping on strictly because there's just a lot of money, or I should say cryptocurrencies, because there's a lot of money. People that are involved in this, my experience was that either they were involved because it's a movement and they really believed in it and there's like the passion. And then you had on the other spectrum, you did have the people that were all about the dollar and then it kind of also brought out of the woodworks um, a significant amount of uh, underhandedness and, and people that uh, maybe aren't someone you're going to have at the supper table. Yeah, that's a great um, analogy of how things are, are kind of gestating or, or have happened in the industry. And that's been exactly my experience. I have a little bit of an advantage because, like it or not, when they find out I'm former law enforcement, it either it takes people one of two ways, or they can just treat me like a, like everybody else, or they can say, "I don't trust this guy because he's a cop," or, "Wow, he really, I hyper trust him because he's he's former law enforcement." So, I have a little bit of that advantage. That being said, I have absolutely got involved with people who, like yourself, I become friends with and I will be friends with either I'm in the industry or not. And there's others who I would never even think of going out anywhere with. Uh, they're just somebody that are just unscrupulous, uh, probably a little bit of criminal element to their background and they're just no reason to be involved in the industry. Yeah. How have you met a lot of these people? You've quickly just in this short period of, uh, of time since this, you know, I guess this window has opened, um, how have you been able to make the connections that you've made? I mean, you've done a lot of different things in a, in a short period of time, and you've quickly built a name for yourself. Um, how'd you do that? Well, um, as we talked about, it's pretty much networking. And what does that mean? It means going to events that you think may or may not be 
uh, something that you would be interested in and finding that one person who can introduce you to another person, excuse me, <clears throat> another person who can introduce you to someone else who knows this person. Honestly, that's how I've done it. I have used a little bit of social media, but although this industry is is starting to grow, it's still a small industry. So word of mouth is is very important. And again, it goes back to the fact that you can't be an asshole. No one wants to work with someone who's a jerk, who's who just you can't stand to be around. Or is just super hyper-focused on one thing, whether it's the money aspect or whether it's just growing. You have to have some interests that, that can be shared with other individuals and come across as being a person that has their integrity and values in place that you want to be involved with um, or can introduce you to someone who they trust, who you know because you trust them, then this person has to be okay too. That's been a big huge factor and each place that i have gone and left i haven't left a burnt bridge i haven't left people you know screaming at me for whatever reason and that's hugely important yeah what do you do proactively with some of these relationships just sometimes as simple as sending a text message and see what's going on how's things you know this is what i'm doing matter of fact a friend of mine who i met through uh, my maryland connection who lives in missouri now same thing sent him a text message yesterday and he that kind of sparked his little interest in the back of his mind that thought of a thing that he's doing in New Jersey that I could probably get involved with. So it kind of moves in that direction. Now, it's it's kind of like playing baseball. You're not going to hit a 1,000. You're going to hit maybe 250 if you're pretty good and 300 if you're okay. I mean, if you're better. So right now, I don't want to give it a you know a batting average, but I'm, I might be on the all-star team. You never know. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> nice. close. I've been all doing right. all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> well, like you said, it comes to character. Um, like, for example, we, we were talking about before lunch, um, you know, you came referred to me through uh, Joe Bondi. And, and Joe Bondi, if uh, anyone's listening to this, it's in the space. And if you don't know who he is, uh, you should. I'll leave it at that and let whoever's listening look up who Joe is. Joe's a man of integrity. He's a man, um, he's, a, he's a very famous defense criminal attorney. Uh, he's an advocate. Uh, he's actually in the process of uh, supporting the group that's suing Jeff Sessions. Correct. Yeah. Um, and he's just a quality guy. Um, he is the one who gave me your name. That's how we originally uh, came to connect. And uh, as you recall, I'd reached out to you saying, hey, you know, uh, you must be a good guy because someone of this guy's uh, character would not put his name behind you if you weren't. Right, yeah, and I met Joe by chance through the um, cannabis community through a fundraiser in Manhattan, sat next to him after the fundraiser, had no clue who he was, just thought he was a really intelligent uh, funny, knowledgeable person. And um, after that dinner, you kind of exchange information. And then he's the reason that I'm sitting here talking to you today. Absolutely. Yeah. But you've got a lot of these kinds of stories too, though. Um, the story of a gentleman that you sat next to on oh, the plane. Yeah. One of my last trips, I do I do some work in, in Baltimore, Maryland. And one of my last trips to Baltimore, I, I live in, in Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island. I travel out of Providence Airport. It's a quick up and down 50 minute flight from Providence to Baltimore. And I just happened to sit next to one of the Rhode Island state representatives, a former Rhode Island state representatives from Providence. I don't, I don't, I don't want to give his name because I don't think he would yeah. appreciate me giving his name. Anyway, long story short, um, we exchanged through the whole train ride, plane ride, sorry, our input and our ideas on, on, on the industry. And Rhode Island is, is a state that is, you know, right on the cusp of looking at legalization, but they're also expanding their medical program. 
And uh, it was interesting to get the take from a legislator on how this came about. And a lot of the information I provided with him, he was unaware of as well. And that's just one small example on how you never know who you're going to run into and you never know what the person sitting next to you does or doesn't do. So I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I put my headphones on and and lean my head against the window because I have to get a window seat. And (laughs) um, that's where it ends. But for some reason, this this just felt like it, it, you know, was different. And thank goodness it was because uh, it was a great conversation. And um, I will probably reach out to him soon enough. And, and I'm sure he'll reach out to me too, because there's some, some things happening in Rhode Island that's specific to medical cannabis that are uh, very interesting. Good. So let, let, walk me through. So I think that's a, a prime example of a, just meeting someone and, and just being aware, uh, obviously exchanging uh, good information because that's actually what networks do. They provide you, if you've got a good network, it provides you with access to diverse uh, skill sets and information. So, okay, let's check that box. Now it comes the time of cultivating, no pun intended, that relationship. Right. What will you do? Is this strictly just going to be a business thing of, of, of sharing information or was he a good guy where, um, you know, you'll just keep that line of communication open just because you liked him? Yeah, he was interesting. Many legislators are attorneys. And some people don't like attorneys. I'm not one of them. I've worked very fortunate to to work with a lot of good attorneys, and that can change your perspective on things. So I'm not of the mindset of I don't trust any attorneys. That's not how I operate, number one. Number two, he's from Providence. And if anybody knows anything about Providence, a little bit of a Schwakon state and things of that nature, I'm not even close to Italian, but I think I find that culture pretty pretty captivating is and and um and thirdly when people find out that i'm former law enforcement involved in the medical cannabis industry that's always a conversation starter and then in addition to that my philosophy when it comes to creating a culture specifically in security can be counterintuitive so in other words law enforcement uses as tools fear and intimidation like it or not that's how a lot of things are done to me, that model doesn't work in the medical cannabis industry, specifically when it comes to security and specifically when it comes to uh, creating a culture. We do not use fear and intimidation. We use trust and cooperation. And it's hugely important. So these are things that kind of hook people. They can either take them one way or the other. They either appreciate that or they don't. If they do, we'll move forward. If they don't, then fine, I understand. Once you start that base, that's where you can discover the next level. So if you can connect on an intellectual level and a visceral level when it comes to those terms, fear and cooperation and uh, fear and intimidation, trust and cooperation, that's a good indication of the person's character. And that's the person that I want to become involved with. So to answer your question, how do you develop that? A lot of times people just want to get you involved because of what you can do for them. And that's okay. But for me, it's always been um, an attitude of, I will always help someone out first, knowing that it will always come back to me at some point. And I have no um, logarithm or formula for that. It's just the way it's been. You want to call it karma, you want to call it whatever, paying it forward, fine, put a, put a term to it. But that's always worked for me. Just not being an asshole? <laughs> that's, that's a term. You can't throw that around a lot, though, because you know we don't, we don't want to offend too many yeah. people. How many people have you met would you say so far in the industry and how many of those people are kind of making it in, making it into your inner circle? That's a good question. Um, it's hard to answer because uh, especially for me initially, 
I deal a lot with security companies, which is fine. Um, I still have contact with numerous security companies who did not get awarded a contract that I was with. That's important because you never know what they're going to come out to be. I also work with contractors um, simply because it's kind of my background. I, I, I can really associate with the, the boots on the ground kind of cats that get work done. And I've always had an affinity for contractors. So each state I'm in, I can't tell you how many contractors I've come in contact with. Now, it could just be a personal relationship. But I'll give you an example. There's one contractor in particular who was the manager on the job. I still reach out to if I have questions uh, regarding wherever I'm at. And he's in New York. I haven't talked to him in, well, I haven't physically seen him in maybe two years. So it's always good to reach out whenever you can, if it's a text message or just a quick phone call. But to answer your question, Adam, I'd have to say it's probably approaching maybe close to 100 now between like I said, contractors and physically working with even patients, caregivers, advocates, you name it. People that work, I've worked with in the dispensaries. I've worked with in the cultivation sites, security contractors. And then ultimately I end up introducing myself to the law enforcement agencies in the area. And that circle just expands even more. Because a lot of times the police departments just don't know what it's like. So are you kind of a bridge to the police department? To, yeah. Is more of like an educating them, hey, this isn't bad. Exactly. Here are the benefits of it. Make them feel comfortable. Hey, this is who I am. Look me up. Here's my you know, man of integrity, kind of addressing it right away. Come to me with any issues. Is that the law enforcement culture is a little bit tight, can be tight-knit at some time. So whenever you can find someone that, that a company that I work for sees the value that I can bring as a liaison between the company and law enforcement, that's huge. Because there's an immediate kind of identification. Oh, this guy was a, was a cop. I'll give you a, a real concrete example. One of the companies I work with in New York had a dispensary in Yonkers. And I, <laughs> I met with the, the local command staff of the, of the local precinct. And they had no idea what this was about. They thought is what they saw on TV. You know, like I was in Colorado. So we bring them into the dispensary. And they were shocked at the level of security. And just the fact that this was more like a medical facility than some kind of a, for lack of a better term, pot shop, you know, where people got their friends high and they're smoking in the in the lobby. That's just not the case. Um, so that misconception was alleviated. I helped them with some training in terms of, you know, showing them what the uh, New York medical card looks like, the products that they should be on the lookout for if they encounter it, things like that. It's just the, it's communication. It's transparency. There's nothing to hide. It's all above the board and legal. That's great. And they appreciated that? Absolutely. And I still have them in my contacts. That's great. Do, when people are reaching out to you, what are they typically reaching out to you for? Typically now it's, it's setting up the security infrastructure because each state in terms of medical is highly regulated and there's specific things that uh, have to be in place. And because I've had good relationships with multiple security vendors, it's very easy for me to find not just a good system, but a practical common sense approach system that's within the state guidelines, but it's not going to break your bank either. Because never forget this, as much money as you can spend on the grow as opposed to anything else is going to make your business that much more successful. So you're not going to go in the cheap, but you have to take an approach that is pragmatic and common sense because anything you save here goes back into the grow. Yeah. What are some of the biggest obstacles that a lot of these facilities are experiencing right now? Capital. It takes a lot of money to, to, to 
to build one of these. So you just mean capital for the facility itself, not capital coming into the industry. Exactly. Okay. For the facility itself. And being pragmatic enough to know that, you know, this plant has to be the thing that runs the engine of the industry. So you get to hire, first and foremost, in my opinion, a grower that's going to grasp that and recognize that. Um, it's important to have a great business model, but if you don't have a grower in place first, you are absolutely done. Yeah. What do the growers make? Uh, it varies. Sometimes pitfall is because it's a new industry, some of the companies can attract people and kind of dangle the carrot out there of, hey, you know, you get your, cut your teeth here and, and they'll be able to maybe pay them a little bit less with the understanding in their minds of getting involved in the industry for the first time. That doesn't work. You have to compensate people fairly and you have to get them in the same mindset of, like I talked about, it's trust and cooperation, transparency. It's a regulated business now. So get those ideas of counterculture, you know, stick it to the man mentality, shady business practices, shady this and that out the window. You have to have someone that's completely on board and um, can realize the value that they bring to the company, but also the fact that the company is something that you're gaining experience from as well. Are the growers reticent to join a quote-unquote legal operation? Because I don't think no. I think initially when I was involved, they were absolutely, uh, especially in Rhode Island because there was a caregiver model in place. Caregiver model is a little different than than other states have. Um, caregivers can provide for a certain number of patients, and they can, and at the time they could also sell excess, you know, in quotations, to the dispensaries. That just allowed for a real uh, kind of gray black market situation. Mm -hmm. So those were the ones that were most reticent about becoming involved um, for a couple of reasons and not necessarily bad ones. A lot of them didn't want to be on, you know, some list was what they call it, where they can be identified. They just like to keep their privacy issues. Um, so that's one that that was one issue. Yeah. What, what are the, some of the positions that are in the most demand that you're seeing these days? Compliance is huge because you go from being a company that is just building, 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 and you finally open your doors, and now you're in the compliance business. You have to make sure your regulations are being followed. You have to make sure that everything is under the same lock and key and circumstances that the state requires. And, you know, there's a little bit of fear and intimidation involved on the state agencies sometimes, but I find your transparency will totally alleviate that. So if, you know, like say there's an issue you have with, for example, some paperwork you didn't, weren't, weren't able to find, don't try to hide that. Communicate that with the inspectors because many times these, these state agencies and inspectors, they're doing this for the first time. So if you can give them some guidance and give them some help, it goes both ways. So I would say, in short, Adam, aside from being a, a, you know, a crack grower, now my experience with growers is they're all the best. They make the best, they do the best stuff. They have the best this. And that's they're fine. All cannabis a little bit of ego. They're kind of like lead guitarists, you know. They're, <laughs> look at me, I do that. <laughs> Generally speaking, I want to paint with a broad brush. So that's important. Compliance is hugely important. And then, you know, selfishly security is important too, only because um, – each state really relies on that for their compliance end. Gotcha. What do you see as, as trends in the industry? Obviously, the compliance is you know one that's not going away. What else do you well, see? Well, every state is sort of trending towards legalized recreation use. That's a definite trend um, for obvious reasons. There's a lot of money involved, and the states can get a lot of tax revenue from that. In terms of the industry in general, 
extraction products are huge. The, the younger crowd looks more to that towards the traditional flower. The older generations look more for um, edible things. No, not many people are, are want to smoke. I guess you could say for for a variety of reasons. You know, there's carcinogens involved, even though there's there's more healthier methods. Um, so, trending in that term, I would say extracts and higher concentrates of things with high THC in it. Are you seeing so so the governments? Do you think it's strictly money? Or do you think are any of them getting more educated on? on the plant itself and being believing more in the movement, or you think this is really just being driven by popular vote and dollar? Yes, I hate to say that. Yeah. It's That's been my experience. Not to say that there aren't some that are, because personally, I don't have any kind of hard medical data, but anecdotally, I've seen this product work miraculous things for people. I mean, I can't even, I can sit here and tell you a whole podcast of things that I've seen this benefit people. It's incredible. Yeah. So you can't deny that. It becomes an issue now is it's still federally illegal, so we can't really pump any kind of funds federally to realize through clinical medical trials the absolute benefit of this product for a multitude of health problems. Now, it's not for everyone, but it certainly helps a vast majority of people. If you don't mind, just give a couple examples of, of the benefits that it has. There's so many people out there that still have no clue the medicinal value that this product offers. I can give you two. Okay. More personal one. When I first became involved in Rhode Island, I was a caregiver. Um, we had a co-op that we had produced medical cannabis products for. And my very first patient as a caregiver, because as a caregiver in Rhode Island, you can have up to five patients, was a friend of the family's who had suffered for, from MS for multiple years to the point where he was wheelchair bound, leg tremors, muscle tremors. The only thing that would allow him to stop the tremors and get up and try to walk so his muscles wouldn't atrophy was cannabis. And to deny that and see it in person, I, I couldn't do it. Not that I did before, but this was a concrete example. That's one. And number two was a patient that I ran into when I was in Rhode Island as well, working in, in the dispensary, who had severe uh, digestive issues. I believe it was ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, something like that. Physically couldn't eat anything and tried everything, tried all the multiple pharmaceuticals that were force-fed by their doctor. The only thing that worked for her was cannabis. She was driven to tears almost every time she came in to purchase something because she was just overwhelmed by the fact that she had what she considered a somewhat normal life now from a plant that's been federally illegal for how long? And has been in existence for, you know, thousands of years. Yeah. What, what do you say to the person that has grown up being force-fed, like you said, this news, again, fake news about, you know, why it's so bad or why it's so illegal? You know, now they're being, you know, they need to shift their mindset because there are some benefits. And, and you know, I've got friends, I've got family members that are just so uh, stoutly against, against it because, oh, it's illegal, but yet it really works. Yeah. Well, I've encountered many people like that. It's sad to say the only thing that changes them when they have a personal experience, and generally what happens is someone in their family gets cancer. Yeah. And the first thing they think of is, oh, well, you got to try some pot. Uh, you know, I don't use that term, but that's the term that people use. Um, it's unfortunate, and it's it's not really their fault. They've been acculturalized by that. They've been fed a product. You know, they've been for years force-fed something that is at best – you know, 
kind of twisted, but at worst, absolutely false, you know, the, the, what the information they're getting. What's really impactful is to see it in person, to see how it works. And even, I hate to say this, for palliative care. When I was in New York, I had a lot of patients whose, actually they were caregivers, whose parents were elderly on the last stage of stage four, whatever, cancer. And they were just miserable because they were doped up on, you name it, and they just weren't themselves. So I can't tell you, I can, you know, just off the top of my head, there's five stories of, of family members that came to us and thanked us for just having them, their, their loved ones, have some dignity at the end of their life. You know, cannabis helped them feel a little better when they've been feeling like horrible between chemotherapy, you name that, allowed them to eat, took them off those substances that made them just zoned out. And they, they were present for the last moments of their life. And that's hugely impactful. And you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah. I try to educate people that it's still, in, like I said, it's still in its infancy and that it's not just because you're going to get some quote unquote pot. It's going to make you feel better. What people have to understand is that there are a lot of different um, variants and people call it strains, but it's really a variant that makes up. Uh, and again, I'm not going to get too technical because I'll be overselling what <laughs> I know. But but it's essentially almost like if you have a headache, think about um, you know an Advil might work for one person, but an Excedrin works for another. As versus as I try to tie that to to the cannabis industry, there's different variants totally. that work with different people. So there's a little tiny bit of trial and error, but it's also you you need to know what's going to work for you. And the more that it's legal, the more knowledge and research that's done out there, the the higher probability you're going to be able to get to the right type of variant for whatever it is that you're you have a, an issue with. Completely. Yeah, I, I used to use this example all the time. Um, when I worked actually physically in the retail areas of, for me personally, everyone's, well, first of all, everyone's body chemistry is different, yeah, right? Much better. So they, they, they react to foreign substances in a different way. For me, I can't take NyQuil. It keeps me up. So I would use that as an example to the elderly patients that would come in and try to say, you know, I want to try this and try that. Okay, so well, listen, here's how it works. You know, I'm not trying to sell you a bag of goods. I'm not trying to make you buy certain things you don't want. There's a, like you said, experimentation phase, a trial and error phase. So you have to find out what CBD content or what THC content or what even strain works for you. Um, so that's important. That's where the clinical medical trials come in yeah. to really identify certain cannabinoids that respond differently to people's afflictions. Yeah. So back to you and your skill set, and you, you keep drawing on security, but I think that that you, I know you're technically a consultant, and I think that's a better way to describe you because there aren't many people that have the level of knowledge. You know, you've got a breadth as well as some depth. You know, maybe you're a little deeper when it comes to the security itself, but you know, you've got uh, all these other. You know, you know how to hire for the right people. You know, well, you've got the these. Let's get back to actually to relationships. You know, that helps to open up doors to help move things along as they're building businesses. Yeah, agreed. Um, someone told me a while ago. That's fine if you have a skill set, but if you don't bring value to a company, you're in trouble. So you need to find what you can become valuable to for. And for me, it's just getting as much information. I'm not an expert, I would say, on human relations, but I have some pretty good skill sets in there. I don't know much about growing, but I know enough to have a conversation. So I developed an elevator speech where people who are interested in knowing more about the industry I can give it to them in five minutes. And that includes multiple areas that we talked about. And that's where my value is. I, I bring a sense of um, 
legitimacy sometimes because of my background with, with law enforcement and how it's federally illegal and, oh, my God, all that. Jeff Sessions, if you want to throw a name out there, too. So the legitimacy I bring, the practical work experience, my past experience and my physical years of in the industry, it's really uh, unique. And I want to capitalize on that and expand on it and find out how much more value I can bring to uh, a company or an individual if it comes down to it. How much value has your uh, network or Rolodex been for you? Oh, it's been, I can't even put a, a value to it. I mean, it's invaluable is, is the best way. Uh, at any day, I haven't put it this way. This is a good way of putting it. When anyone's ever come to me with a question about anything involved in the industry, I've always been able to look through my Rolodex or my memory and find someone that I could find to help with the, with the situation. may not be perfect. They may be someone that can be the bridge to somebody else, but I've always been able to find that. And vice versa. I've never reached out to someone who, who hasn't been able to, to help me and put me in the right direction too. And that gets back to the relationships that you've totally. built. You know what I forgot to ask you is, uh, without going into the depths of the names, were you able to, did you connect with my friend Steve? Which Steve oh, is that? That's <laughs> there's, right. There's that's totally, right. We got a couple of them. There's a lot of Steves in, yeah, the, in, the, in the Rolodex. Uh, my friend from Florida. How about that? I don't think so. Oh, all right. Well, then I'll yeah. have to make that. I have another introduction then for okay. you. <laughs> um, wow. Well, Mike, if someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, which they should if they have any interest in this uh, business, no matter what that is, even if it's just to get the, get the ball rolling, how, how would they go about connecting with you? The best way is just through email to start off so we can bet, bet things out. I also have a LinkedIn page, um, but my email is Mike Rego, M-I-K-E-R-E-G-O, four zero at gmail.com. Quick, send me a blast. Um, always willing to talk to someone. I'm not someone that is like going to charge you for every minute of your time, but I will absolutely have a conversation and see where it leads. There's no doubt about it. It's, you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to talk to. That's great. And you're pretty quick at responding. Do you have a rule of thumb on how quickly you'll get back to somebody typically? Yeah, it's kind of a sticking point with me because let's face it, in today's day and age, everybody has a cell phone with email and text capabilities. I'm pretty responsive, meaning almost immediately. If I'm not responding immediately, there's a reason for it. And I'll definitely get back to you as soon as possible. So yeah, um, I think in today's day and age, it's immediate responses is warranted for sure. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, any questions that you might have for me, whether it's about networking, building a Rolodex, uh, the industry, although I can't help you really that much <laughs> on that, but I'll try. <laughs> no, I just, I, I want to give you some some praise, Adam. I, I'm amazed at the amount of people that you know and who you've been able to introduce me to, who I've in turn introduced other people to. So you can't discount the fact of being a good guy Someone you can talk to has multiple interests, not just hyper-focused on one thing that's going to turn somebody off if you're not in the same world as them. And then just being able to communicate in an effective manner, whether it's through a phone call, or text messages, communication is huge. And uh, I look forward to meeting more of the people that you send my way because, uh, like I said, I'm not batting a thousand, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm probably... I don't throw a number out, but I'm in the all-star team. <laughs> you are. It's funny. Everyone that I've introduced, everyone walks away. I mean, it's first of all, everybody likes you. Secondly, you getting back to your value, um, you've always provided value. Like you said, if you're not the answering something directly, you're going to follow up. I say this too. Now, what I do and what everyone else is involved in the industry and wants to be involved long-term, we are now ambassadors. You know, We have to put 
a different spin on people's perspective sometimes. And I don't mean spin, that's not a good word. A different outlook, I guess, because oftentimes people's perception is their reality and that's not always the case. So what they see on TV with the programs involved about legal cannabis aren't always the case and usually aren't the case when it comes to the statewide, specifically medical program. It's um, legitimate, hardworking, honest, business-oriented, but also compassionate individuals who are involved in the industry. That's hugely important. So my advice would be to anyone who wants to get involved, get an elevator speech down. Or I shouldn't say that. Who is involved now? You're now ambassadors, so act like one. Walk the walk, talk the talk, do the things that won't bring uh, bad press or, or bad attitude towards the industry in general. That's great advice. Mike, I really appreciate you, like I said, making the trek down, even though I know you love trains. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You're, you know, your time is valuable, your insights are valuable. Uh, I know I learned a lot. I hope everyone else that's listening to the show had the opportunity to have as much takeaways that I did. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Make it a great day. Thanks. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If so, check out some of my others on conversationswithconnors.com. If you're someone looking to build a business, increase your sales, or make a career change, go to networkwise.com. There, you'll have access to a bunch of resources that can help you get started. Thanks again, make it a great day, and remember to always network wise.